Hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Science Diggers, a show where a bunch of friends dig into the history of science. Every episode, we review and discuss one paradigming al- paradigm altering observation. We bring to you our discussions on these milestones. And this episode, we're talking about the paper titled "Experiments on the Effect of a Current of Electricity on the Magnetic Needle," written by John Christian Oersted. Actually, uh, in English, his, uh, his the name Oersted is pronounced as O E R S T E D. or as the google translates is it's pronounced as ersted but then he's a danish uh, physicist also but he's pro- uh, maybe I, i would rather call him a danish natural philosopher and in danish it's pronounced as ersted so we can't promise you a good pronunciation over the entire episode but i hope you'll bear with us so this paper was the first to uh, point towards the direction of uh, merging or unifying the electricity and magnetism before proceeding any further Let me let us introduce ourselves. I'm Vidya Sagar, uh, and I'm studying particle physics in University Paris Saclay. Hi, I'm Bhavesh. I'm studying optics and photonics in KIT Germany. Um, yeah, and my name is Adityan, and I'm studying quantum engineering MSc uh, at ETH Zurich. Uh, hi, I'm Pratyush. I'm studying uh, masters in particle physics at ETH Zurich. Okay, so uh, this is where uh, since our paper is being discussed on. the magnetic effects of current i would uh, want to initiate by setting up some context and history about this paper now we're talking about the year 1820 which is exactly 200 years from now in the past so i would like to set up the context to how research and developments before this led up to this discovery so we'll start with the idea that there already existed magnets in the form of lodestones and we had something like static charge by rubbing of two substances from long time which was say 600 bc now static electricity was being explored in the 16th 17th century and as we go on to the 18th century this was uh, this is where our first interesting object comes in which is the leyden jar so this was 75 years before the dis- this said discovery where they had something like a capacitor where rubbing would cause it to charge and if you touched it there was discharging so this was also the inspiration for benjamin franklin's famous kite experiment now two years from this time cavendish started the first experiments where the static electricity was being discharged which causes current so this immediate current was being used to study conductivity of different elements or materials now in 1785 which was 35 years before this experiment coulomb was doing his research on separate charges which as we now know is called the coulomb's laws where the force between two different static charges depends on the extent of these charges and the distance Now, seventeen eighty, about forty years before this experiment, we have the famous experiment, which is an accidental experiment by Galileo, which is called the frog leap experiment. Now, this is where uh, we could have some interest on how current flow was being studied. What happened was uh, Galileo took frog limbs of a dead frog, and he connected metals of two different kinds to different parts of the limb. now if these two metals were brought into contact what was observed was the legs twitched now in around 10 years what he 
Galvani proposed this to be called as animal electricity. Well, eventually it was found that different metals have different affinity towards electrons and this relative affinity causes current to flow. So it was not actually that the animals had current, but rather it was the current which was flowing because of the metals. Now our most interesting experiment which happened before this was when Alessandro Volta discovered the voltaic or galvanic cell. Now why this is interesting is because this was the first time when electricity happened to be in a steady flow. Until now we had talked about static charges and how bringing them in contact we could, we could see an immediate flow of current. What we see here is that Volta had in 1800 which was 20 years before this experiment, discovered, invented a way in which we could have a steady flow of current. And this is the voltaic or galvanic cell which was used by Oyster in his experiment. There's also an interesting discovery done by an Italian philosopher whose name is Gian Domenico Romanozzi. But we'll come to this eventually in our discussions. But Bavish, uh... You mentioned that Galvini observed a flow of current instead of static current, static charges that was uh, known so far. Are you sure that he used the word flow? Did he? Do you think he realized the concept that this was basically static charges but flowing, or do you think this he observed it? I I, I personally believe he observed it to be a different phenomena which had some sort of electric uh, relation because uh, when you put something. Uh, that is conductive. People realized what mate what materials were electrically conductive and what materials weren't electrically conductive long before this. And when you put an uh, an electrically charged or a conductor near this experiment, near this frog experiment, it had some effect on it. So they realized there was something to do with electricity. But do you think Galvani at this point already realized that this was the same electric uh, charges that were moving, or do you think that he realized the flow, as you call it? So, uh, at least from what I understand, Galvani, when he called, as, as I've mentioned, he called it something animal electricity. He also called things material electricity. So, at this point, uh, Galvani does not seem to have understood about the idea that we could attain something like a steady flow because all his experiments indicate he had uh, worked with impulses of electricity. So, I, I, I do agree that uh, steady flow is not something we can... Uh, bring into exact discussion here and since this was more of Volta's work where he uh, looked at the battery I think uh, we can call it a study process even in their understanding so I suppose that covers yeah, I think from what I understand it was one year later one year after the Galvanese experiment that uh, some French physicist or French natural philosopher because back then there was no such thing as physicist yeah French natural philosopher called Jacques Bisson came up with the word uh, electric current. I think that was when they started using the word electric current. But I think not everyone was co were convinced that this is the electric charges moving. So I think that was the main difference between the term electricity, which was the uh, study of uh, charges, and galvanism, which was the study of something that is happening in this galvanic experiment. They weren't really sure that this is the same thing as electric charges moving. But yeah, uh, something I found interesting was uh, before uh, Galvini, the only electric related phenomena that they observed was 
the electric charges produce the static electricity produced by friction all sorts of friction they even have had a, a machinery that was created to generate static electricity it was basically two basically conductors uh, rubbing each other so there was a grinder something like that where you turn it around and then so you produce a current uh, electric charges between these two plates and then they use these electric charges to do all kinds of experiments but galvani was uh, galvani's experiment was the first of its kind because it was the first ever observation of electric current or as they call it galvanic current or galvanism before that everything uh, that they observed was static electricity and because galvani observed it in animals first he called it animal electricity but obviously there are that led to so many misinterpretations among so many other people primarily philosophers in is in spiritual philosophers and stuff like that where they believe they started believing that only animals are capable of generating electricity or generating this galvanism only animals were create capable of creating uh, generating electric current as we call it now and they came to conclusions as such that it is the essence of life it is the it is what makes life different from everything else it is the soul and also it becomes even more interesting when they started realizing obviously uh, the other phenomenon observed before galvani was the lightning they realized that it had something to do with electricity and obviously benjamin franklin had something to uh, uh, propose that uh, it was basically electricity in this clouds or in the sky but after this galvani's experiment they started really believing that it was galvanism that is happening in the sky it is the electric current that is happening in the sky and only animals or only something with life can do that hence there is life in sky or you know what, what kind of uh, what, what these line of thought leads to so yeah there was a lot of such, such misinterpretations that uh, electric current has something to do with life itself and alessandro volta was against it he did not believe that uh, this thing can be related to animals or life as such and he wanted to disprove it and the the primary motivation so this motivation to disprove galvani and his interpreters saying that life has something to do with electricity is what led him to do invent this electric battery or voltaic pile as he called it and so yeah he basically created electricity or this galvanic current completely out of chemicals completely out of inorganic objects so completely out of something you extracted from earth something which had which had no life so that's how he disproved galvani and his interpreters and i still find it interesting that despite his attempts to disprove galvani his invention is called galvani apparatus or galvanic pile a lot of credit has been given i mean like i believe galvani deserves credit for observing the electric current for the first time but i find it interesting that he invented something and named it after the person whom he wanted to disprove it but yeah and if you guys ever find uh, something out interesting or if you discover or invent something what do you think you'll name it or what do you think you'll name it after it depends on the stuff that you are inventing right yeah sure sure like but do you have any certain uh person you want to name it after or something like that pratish do you want to answer this uh no no i'm not that selfless so i'll name it after myself <laughs> yeah i would good answer cool yeah and yeah i i personally think so i had a high school teacher in my 9th 10th class standard his name was joshi and to inspire us 
to uh, to show us what kind of pride uh, this field of research gives us he tried to uh, motivate us by saying that he wanted to invent or uh, discover a new element in the periodic table and wanted to call it uh, joshi livium his name was joshi so i think if i invent or discover something eventually i would like to uh, you know dedicate something to him i would call something joshi something depending on how that field of science names things yeah i would i would try to have something related to joshi okay nice mm-hmm. <clears throat> that yeah. reminds me of a funny trivia from mathematics it said that most of the famous theorems in mathematics which uh, is associated with a name of a mathematician was actually not proved or was not actually found by the same mathematician like euler's theorem or whichever famous uh, theorem you can think of it's actually wasn't first discovered by the said yeah. mathematician mm-hmm. just a trivia nice nice so yeah moving on so when i was describing the whole concept of this episode this podcast to my dad he mentioned uh, i was describing about uh, how beautiful uh, the story of galvini and alessandro volta was and how you know revealing that was to the people who were misinterpreting stuff for 20 complete years and then realized something else was happening entirely and he my dad pointed out that uh, he heard of something called baghdad battery which is uh found in a certain arabic country around 2000 years ago uh, so it was so it was found in i think around 1800s by an archaeologist and he, uh, when he realized that it was 2000 years ago and he realized that it was basically a clay pot with two electrodes in it a copper and iron electrode and they believe based on the sediments left on the clay pots inside they believe the internal uh, the they they contained either vinegar or grape solution internally and it is obvious for us now that it would act like a battery because there are two electrodes two differently conductive uh, metals inside and grape juice and also vinegar are really good electrolyte solutions so this technically is a battery but do you think they invented the battery 2000 years ago right now the the battery we're talking about the alessandro volta's voltaic pile is around 220 years ago from now it's 2020 this time right now so 220 years ago right now in 1800 but this baghdad battery dates back to 2000 years ago do you think they invented the battery i would uh, personally be of the belief that since it qualifies for all requirements which we have in terms of uh, having a voltaic cell this does look like a battery to me since it will provide at least to a certain lifetime as a current source which will of course decay but that is the same as what we have uh, in our voltaic cell so to me it sounds like a battery honestly although i still have to think of where would these baghdad batteries be used was exactly, there anything yeah. on those lines yeah so yeah exactly. even so I think Bhavesh mentioned something in the introduction about uh, the philosopher uh, Romanozzi. So, I think the his idea or maybe his observation of uh, seeing the deflection, he might have seen the deflection, 
but it went unnoticed because maybe the society wasn't up to date with maybe the because the electromagnetism wasn't up to date with what he found so similarly the baghdad battery i think maybe he found, they found it but people didn't know what to do with it so you might find yeah and i was saying maybe they used a series of baghdad batteries to execute people electro or electrocute people you don't know <laughs> yeah we'll come back to romanosi topic later on once we discuss what the paper is itself and yeah so definitely so i i completely agree that this baghdad people the people from baghdad obviously made a battery it is definitely a battery but that doesn't mean they invented a battery unless they realize what it is and how it is supposed to be used i wouldn't call they invented the battery and yeah so i think the primary accusation uh, the primary arguments from the people who believe that it was a battery and they invented the battery was they used it in series or parallel collections and to make it uh, you know more powerful and use it for electroplating for jewelry and all kinds of sculptures not electrocute people because that needs so much voltage and so much current that i'm not sure they can uh, i'm still surprised at the fact that they had a room full of uh, electronic components to make the first early computers so i'm not sure they had a room full of baghdad batteries to you know electrocute people i think that's too much they had so much poison around all the time i think a lot of things they had around was poison so it was easy to kill people otherwise other than through electrocuting people with such a uh, current and but but so yeah i i think i was thinking about how to give credit and i was reading more about it and then i found uh, a way of uh, you know uh, giving credit so when do you say a person p discovered some phenomenon x so uh, the word, what i found is you needs to satisfy four conditions one x does really occur that is x is true if not there is no point in giving credit two p did really find x so p found the x properly p is the person so person that person particularly found the phenomenon x and third condition is p was the first to find x the person was the first to find x and fourth is p interpreted x correctly so i i agree that this was a battery and i agree this works and i agree that they had it during 2000 years ago in the baghdad but i don't think they interpreted it uh, correctly because if you think of it we it for us it seems obvious that you can connect a few batteries in parallel and series to and to increase the power but that is not really an obvious thing to find out it needs a lot of certain set of ideology certain set of fundamental laws you need to know before to come up with kishof laws or to to come up with the fact that you can just connect them in series and parallel to uh, increase the voltage and current so i'm sure that they didn't have such ideology of connecting batteries in series and parallel back then well to start with they didn't have this electrodes popping out of the uh, uh, this electric pots out itself it was all concealed so i don't think they used it in any way so probably they just realized that if you put a electrode in a particular solution for a long time the solution tastes differently i think you already know why and i think they were trying to uh, make the taste wine taste better or the vinegar taste different by putting some electrodes in it but i don't think they used it as a battery so i think they made a battery for sure but i don't think they invented the battery 
and uh, there's this uh, YouTube video by a channel called Electro Boom. It was and uh, about the Baghdad battery, where he actually tries to take an make a Baghdad battery and try to put it in series, and and he tries this how much voltage and how much current it can supply. And it was mostly a rant about how Baghdad battery is not an invention. It was mostly an accident to say. So I had a few things to add. Uh, first of all, your third and fourth condition, which you have mentioned about what counts as a discovery or for an invention, say, does not seem to be satisfied by a lot of actually actual credits given for inventions or discoveries. I mean, even in our further discussion, we're going to have the talk about Oyster versus Romanozzi, which is, again, a condition which is not satisfied. So I would rather say... Uh, we will, yeah, definitely come to uh, Oyster versus Romanozzi. But yeah, I, I agree that in this field or in the field of anything, miscrediting happens a lot. But if you have strong arguments against the credit, you can definitely bring it up. But we should have certain logical uh, requirements to, you know, differentiate credits. I think this starts this this stands as a good uh, set of requirements. Maybe we'll once we start start talking about the oyster case, maybe we can uh, discuss more about uh, how valid these credits are, these requirements for crediting are. So coming back to the paper of discussion here, that is the oysters paper describing how he observed that uh, battery or the current passing through the battery had an effect on the magnetic needle nearby. So Oyster was teaching galvanism and electricity to a class and this was during a class demonstration. He was demonstrating how the galvanic apparatus or a battery works. And he happens to have a compass around and he realized that the compass needle, the magnetic needle in the compass was moving when it was uh, placed parallelly uh, below the wire of the galvanic apparatus. So he realized that when a wire with current passing through it was par uh, parallelly above the needle, exactly above the needle, the end next to the negative, negative terminal of the battery will go westwards. So this angle of declination, he, he also observed he, with more observations, he later realized that this angle of declination, the angle it moves, is dependent on the distance between the wire and the needle and also the power of the battery. And he tried to move this uh, battery sideways in the same direction. So just, instead of just being the, the just putting the wire parallelly above the needle, he tried to move it a little. And then he realized that when it's moved, the effect is still observed. It's just that the angle that the needle moves is less now. So he realized that it's not a simple attraction or repulsion between the wire and the needle. Because if that's the case, when you move the wire one way, it should attract. And if you move the wire other way, it should still attract. It shouldn't ripple another way. And he tested this with various different types of materials for the wire. Uh, all kinds of conductors that they knew that they could make wires out of. And he tried to, you know, mix and match as well. He tried to make a wire out of both gold and brass together. And then he tried to put different layers of uh, material between this wire and the needle to see if this can be propagated through this material. So he tried both conductors and insulators. He realized that uh, with wood or glass, such as which are insulators, this effect was still observed. But if you put a metal sheet between the wire and needle, the effect is still observed. That means that even conductors that can conduct electricity are still propagating this effect. 
So he realized that this is not a simple electricity. And he tried to put the wire under the needle. And this time, the needle started moving in opposite direction. And also he realized that the needle started moving in, uh, deflecting in the opposite direction when the current was reversed. And he realized that needles of other material don't have the same effect. Only a magnetically active needle had this effect. So he realized that there was something to do with magnetism in this. So yeah, that was primarily his observations. And so he concluded uh, by calling this a current conflict or electric current uh, conflict, sorry. Uh, it's called, so he concluded by calling it electric conflict, which travels in circles or spirals around the conductor based on his observations of how the relative position of current and the needle work. He, calling, he called it electric conflict in circles or spirals around the conductor. And hence started the first ever realization that there is some kind of effect that both unifies the electric and magnetism. So, yeah, I'm not sure about the uh, exact date, but uh, as you mentioned, the spiral motion uh, related to what he observed. So I think there was a correlation between the electric fields and uh, fluids. So basically, there are people who have uh, stated a, a fluid model of a fluid model of uh, fields. So just like uh, just like in fluids, we have vortices, liquids, we have vortices, somewhat correlating it with a magnetic field lines and replacing the vortex with a charge. So this was just an observation, but uh, nothing was concrete at that point of time. Yeah, so it reminded me when he mentioned the term spiral, but I'm not sure. I'm sure that it was before the experiment, but I'm not sure exact date. Yeah. So, so are you saying that it's like this was the inspiration behind Oersted to, you know, hypothesize that it has to be inspired? Uh, I think uh, the spiral notion also there's one more thing which I think could have inspired uh, Oyster but that's just a speculation I'm not sure about it but uh, Columbus when he was traveling uh, uh, over the earth from one side to other he noticed that obviously the compass was quite in use at that time and uh, he noticed for the first time that uh, there were deflections when he was moving from west to east. So he realized that uh, something is happening with the field. Obviously people weren't aware that what exactly this field is, whether it's exactly coming from the uh, earth or not because it was after Columbus traveled, it was realized that or maybe explained that Earth actually acts like a magnet. So it was after Columbus realized that there are some kind of deflections in the compass. He realized that uh, people realized that basically Earth itself has two poles and uh, has sort of uh, as we have seen that it has a magnetic field lines. So. You can see that even in the Oyster's ex experiment, he's trying to play with the compass. 
and see how it exactly the compass behaves and we have seen that he takes the compass from one side to other and he sees that the deflection is somewhat different and not exactly attractive as sometimes it's aligned towards or sometimes it's opposite so i had uh, two comments to make Mm-hmm. one was that uh, although it's an it's it's something which we have we do not have any written proof for mm-hmm. but it is been talked about that including columbus many explorers when they are on their sea voyage they observe that not just uh, like it's much after how people observe that uh, there's an overall magnetic field which ha- the earth has but also the fluctuations in the needle itself which were correlated with how uh, with if there was lightning in the sky so okay. this is where uh, i would say could be potentially one of the interesting observations that people right, noticed right, how right. Uh, i mean we could at least now say that this was one of the first observations to say that electricity and magnetism could show relations and lightning and, and lightning yeah so i think i if, think i i think uh, one of them was the northern lights but i am not sure if it was the first one hmm. the yes. northern lights were the first uh, ever lightning kind of effect due to hmm. magnetic field magnetic field of the earth do we know when these are dis- first discussed the you auroras mean, you mean the date you mean hmm yeah so as far as i remember i think it's around 1700s 1710s or something like that when Uh, some astronomer observed uh, aurorae and uh, different magnetic effects so i had another thing to bring up about how at- attraction and uh, repulsion we were talking about the idea of attraction and repulsion so i would want to put it as a remark and also about you know the aha moment of how uh, things look here that uh, since here is the is the time when uh, oyster talks about how it doesn't seem to be an attractive or repulsive kind of force what i think about now is that uh, if we talk about compass and we use magnets what we observe is that a certain pole has attractive features and the other pole has repulsive features so we only had observed attractive and repulsive forces in magnetism whereas when we look at coulombs for example coulombs uh, study on charges we again talk about how attraction and repulsion takes effect and this here the fact that this does not look like an attractive or repulsive force and uh, as we are talking about here uh, seem to be in spirals or in circles now this is where uh, i i feel this is the the real scientific moment where we can see how something where we had where we had only observed science of attraction and repulsion we are observing a new science which is the interface between electricity and magnetism and hence this makes it rather interesting and this is what i liked a lot about this uh wait i i don't really understand your point what do you mean that there is no kind of attraction or repulsion because see at present moment we know that it's actually a magnetic dipole interacting with magnetic field magnetic dipole as in a compass needle interacting with a magnetic field of the current carrying wire so technically it is a force it's just that whether it is attractive or repulsive is position dependent i would beg to differ because uh, well now that we already know the science if we have a wire 
and we're looking at the magnetic field the magnetic field is in circles and never either towards the wire or away from the wire it's in a tangent to the wire and hence this this is what i mean when i say that it is neither attractive okay nor okay okay i see yeah so so yeah i think uh, all the attraction and repulsion that was talked before this paper was always in the line of contact so attraction or repulsion happens in the line of contact there are two points there's a line of contact so attraction or repulsion happens that way so by saying that this is not a simple attraction or repulsion when when oyster said that it's not attraction i think he meant that it's not line of contact hence not attraction because so far everything by attraction they meant attraction and line of contact but later now we realize that it is it is attraction but just in line or not line of contact uh, later now we realize that there is something called field and there's a field line that shows what is the direction of attraction and it's it's still attraction but just not in the line of contact and uh, yeah regarding your comment uh, prachish are you sure that they had a concept of electric field before 1820 No, no. There because, wasn't a, because, any concept of electric field. Yeah. So because you were saying that before this paper, there were uh, some correlations between electric field and fluid, which uh, I'm not very certain about. Because I don't think there was a concept of electric field in the first case. Because they were just re- starting to realize that charges move, and that's called electric current. And from there, right. directly coming to a concept of electric field is such a big leap. I wouldn't assume that it was present before. Uh, I search paper. Yeah, yeah, you are right. And you are right. I... So I think the concept of electric field and relating it with uh, fluids motion was pretty later. And also regarding your uh, comparison of how Oyster might have come up with the concept of spirals by comparing it with uh, uh, the observations of Columbus. I find it very amusing that uh, at no point in the paper Oyster calls the ends of needles as poles. He keeps calling them as end of a needle, but never as a pole. Uh, I am not sure how how well they understood magnetism and the concept of poles of magnets at that point of time. But but in case if if uh, Oyster has realized that this spiral has something to do with the spiral motion, the declination, how Columbus observed his declination on his compass when he was traveling around the world. he would have definitely come up with at least a proposition that this wire that is carrying carrying electric current is acting something like a magnet he never came up with that I, I, from uh, from his paper i assume he is a pretty smart guy he came up with really smart uh, conclusions from certain observations i would guess if he had observed the correlation between the spiral he has been observing the spiral effect he's been observing around this wire and the spiral that columbus observed he would definitely have come up with the conclusion that uh, this wire is somehow acting like a magnet but that doesn't that hasn't happened until later ampere realized that a current carrying wire can affect another current carrying wire it doesn't have to be a magnetic needle when he started observing that a current carrying wire can affect another current carrying wire and obviously oyster realized that there has to be magnet involved because any other normal needle can't do this a brass needle with which is not magnetized can't do this and ampere is the one who came up with the concept that uh, this wire that is carrying current has something is creating magnetic field or magnetism around it so i think uh, i think oyster yeah definitely columbus had this uh, spiral effect published or announced or discussed way before but i don't think oyster has uh, related that to or inspired from that but yeah it would have been amazing if he had
things would have been so much faster it would have taken less 10 less years to realize that what this phenomenon is is actually that a moving charges create magnetic field around it it would have been observed by oyster itself if he was you know able to relate it so i think yeah on side note i, I really believe that uh it's very important to read or realize or know more about stuff happening in fields other than your own field in in research although back then everything was natural philosophy and everything was a related field even now i think if by by reading on knowing about something which is not very related to our own field would uh give us a lot more inspiration and give us it makes it easier to give bring out conclusions or it's basically food for thought right yeah it would have been amazing if oyster had made this relation Yeah. Can I ask something? Yeah, sure. Uh, maybe I got it wrong. But wait, are you saying that Ulster wasn't looking for magnetism when he was doing his experiments? No, I say no. Uh, he had a magnetic needle, but he didn't realize. He didn't come up with a conclusion. He didn't. He didn't realize that this uh, this wire, the, which is carrying current, is creating magnetism. He called it electric conflict. That it's creating electric conflict, and that can affect a magnetic object. But he didn't realize that what it's what is happening is it's creating magnetism. Yeah, but then he was looking for magnetism, right? He because I think uh, I read somewhere. I, I think I have that document as well. It was during his lecture on galvanism and magnetism that he demonstrated this. So his lecture was about electricity, mm-hmm. galvanism, and magnetism. He was dealing three different concepts. Mm-hmm. He was teaching three different concepts, and he happens to have both uh, galvanic apparatus. and a compass because he's teaching both things in his in his class he happens to have both of them and he observed the effect of this galvanic apparatus on a compass mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean he realized that it was magnetism okay i see because uh, i i was of the impression that he was always looking for or he was kind of aware i don't think he was trying to was... unify it he just happens to found find something uh, observed something interesting and then later realized that it's unifying electricity galvanism and uh, magnetism but i don't think he was trying to do it the reason i say this is because he was always trying to uh, you know he, he was aware that there are forces which are analogous to newton's and coulomb's law like they're one by r force and there are, there, there are certain categories of forces which do not obey that and he had a certain intuition for that and he was also uh, i think he he spent quite some time with a german philosopher yes yes uh, yeah right and they they wanted to sort of give a, a better explanation of light and electromagnetism and by that time like by the time uh, that uh, volta came up with his cells the battery and stuff they were well aware that uh, current carrying wire radiates heat and it radiates heat in all directions uh irrespective of like it, it it is isotropic basically so uh ersted knew that there existed a force which is similar to this like similar to uh in a way that it is not acting along the direction of current but in the you know in, in somewhere in the opposite direction or in the plane perpendicular to uh what is happening so i i i think he was always sort of you know trying to look and he knew that this was this is in some way related to magnetism because he was he was working with metallics and magnetic needles he knew uh, like if you have a natural magnet from 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 the environment you can attract those magnetic needles so he knew that whatever acts on these magnetic needles has to be magnetism so i feel that he was always looking for magnetism and he was just trying to 
put his intuition of uh, you know the heat radiation from a wire to the magnetic field of by a current carrying wire what do you guys think yes uh, i i agree that uh, yeah immanuel kant was so oyster uh, did his uh, doctoral dissertation on immanuel kant's philosophy and he reinterpreted that kantian thought as and subscribed to the concept that there exists a fundamental universe uh, unity among all the forces of nature or among all the phenomena of nature so he was always trying to unify all the phenomena he observed and he he, he did uh, before this paper in 1820 he did uh, uh, write about how uh, electric current can produce heat and light and both also in circles or spirals around the wire and he did realize that uh, this magnetic effect is also in something similar in a circular or a spiral manner around the current but from at least from the tone of his paper i'm i'm still suspicious if he was intentionally looking for it or if he observed it and then realized that it agrees with his line of thought mm-hmm. and i'm i'm still i still believe that he realized that this wire had a magnetic effect but does not necessarily mean he realized that this wire was generating magnetism or magnetic field as we would call it now oh but then what did he refer to as those spirals then he referred to it as electric conflict and he says this same electric conflict or he believed that the same electric conflict is responsible for all the three phenomena the heat phenomena the light phenomena and the magnetic phenomenon around this electric wire he called it the electric conflict but now now we know that the heat and light is produced because of the resistance of the wire that has nothing to do with the electricity passing itself and the magnetic field is obviously the because of uh, when charges move it creates magnetic field around it so we kind of disentangle the electric conflict the word electric conflict he used into magnetism and uh, resistance and everything related to this phenomenon of resistance but i think he wasn't sure he wasn't very sure at least from the tone of his paper i interpret as he wasn't sure that it was a magnetism that's being created he called it the electric conflict so yeah uh, since we know since we established that alessandro volta was the first inventor of uh, battery and one of the primary uh, parameters that you used to quantify battery to say how good a battery is is its voltage and i i'm not sure if they had this concept of measuring voltage or the concept of voltage itself back in 1820 because in oyster's paper he mentions that a smaller apparatus by apparatus he means battery will also provide similar results if it is strong enough to heat a metallic wire so i think he is trying to uh, see the power or the capacity of the battery by checking if it can heat a metallic wire or not so i think he they didn't have the concept of voltage back then but what do you think based on based on the description of the battery he gave in the paper what do you think would have been the voltage of this battery so um uh, i personally cannot speak about the voltage but uh, given his observations about the current i i did some calculations to get an idea of what current we can expect from this apparatus and as we generally study the magnetic field of current my calculations tell me that it should be at least an ampere worth of current flowing through the wire an ampere to 10 amperes of current which should flow through the wire and given it's a conductor um i i would say uh, the voltage can be expected to be order of volts or tens of volts max 
yeah re- regarding uh, what you were saying earlier bavesh uh, you said that uh, alessandro volta was first uh, when he created a voltaic pile he was the first to generate some as you call it steady flow of current he had some steady flow of current in his wire how long do you think that lasted i mean uh, every battery has a discharge time after a certain time it can't it can't produce uh, electricity anymore so how long do you think uh, earlier the, or the first voltaic pile uh, could last uh so this is again very speculative of what i thought so the fact that he was observing something like uh, he he was able to last the experiment long enough to observe a spiral kind of magnetic field my no no i mean i mean uh, the not necessarily about oyster's apparatus with him but i'm talking about the battery that mm-hmm. volta created himself for, for the initial stages of voltaic battery how do, how long do you think those batteries lasted so again uh, i have an un uh, unverified source on this where i read it it lasted uh, in the order of tens of minutes max that's that's pretty um, good yeah that's a, that's, a, that's a good uh, if you knew that uh, you could increase the lifetime by d- increasing the concentration of the solution or you know uh, putting a bigger rod or something or uh, having it so it keeps putting depends on the type of rod you choose I think it depends on the type of the rod you choose also because it should be the difference between the conductor conductance of two rods that matters a lot. Right now, in in most of our batteries, I think we use uh, copper and zinc, if I'm not wrong. And the yeah, normal right. battery, everyday batteries right. uh, we use, I think it's copper and zinc. I think that has pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wouldn't guess that Volta came up with copper and zinc in its first attempt. It would have tried something else earlier. Yeah, and also to add to Aditya's comment on the concentration. So given that uh, when he was mentioning about at least how uh, Oyster used the voltaic cell in his experiment, he was very precise on what concentration of uh, hydrochloric acid or sulfuric acid. I'm not sure either of these two he used in his apparatus, and he was very specific about the concentration. So I would suppose that there was some amount of calculation mm-hmm. done on uh, how the variation of concentration works with uh, the yeah. lifetime or the current probability. Exactly. Battery. So if you wanted to observe so, yeah. a longer current, uh, you yeah. just increase the concentration. So I don't think it matters that much the time. So yeah, I think uh, he was oyster had sulfuric and nitric acids. He mentioned uh, the quantities pretty precisely, but I think uh, it it was intended to make it easily repeatable because someone so that someone else can repeat because he also t- talks about the angle of declination it was 45 degrees when it was parallelly placed at a certain distance from the needle so i think he was trying to be precise about all the numbers because it has to be you know uh, repeatable by someone else and to verify it and uh, do you think a person can repeat the same experiment at their home because right now everyone is, has access to batteries but do you think it's safe to connect a wire between the two terminals directly it's basically like shorting the battery now this is where things get uh, rather silly people people do all kinds of experiments at home so yeah uh, disclaimer least... we're not we're not we're not promoting any such uh, doing at home i don't think it's safe to connect uh, two terminals of a battery directly by wire at home so please do not try it at home so in a safe labor, laboratory experiment well uh, we can indeed use a 1.5 volt double uh, a battery or triple a battery to connect it for a wire however it is unsafe because as as we said we need high amounts of current so in fact uh, while doing the calculations this is where i observed that when he was talking about a 45 degree uh, declination this would mean that 
the magnetic field has to be comparable to the magnetic field of the earth itself and uh, hence that's where the current to be order of amperes come in so i agree that if you try to come in you if the setup comes in human contact since the battery is a very less power delivery uh, source it cannot cause immediate issues however it is still unsafe as uh, we already mentioned however this experiment can be done in a labor in, in, in a laboratory given enough safety measures i suppose and that is also done in some experiments Yes, yes, yes. I think there are a lot of YouTube videos demonstrating this experiment themselves. I think they do it in certain high schools all around the world as well. But hypothetically, if there was no resistance for the wire, this is really bad because the battery will basically explode. But thank God they didn't know the concept of resistance, but everything they had in their hands had resistance in it and that kind of kept it safe for them. That's that we, that it's happy that they're still alive because of that. Otherwise, we would have seen something like Baghdad's electrocution possibilities like the everyday substance that we have say like an aluminum wire what, do, you, do you guys know what is like the conductivity or something then maybe we can guess uh, maybe like a 10 centimeter of wire how much resistance it would have if you're assuming a very very thin thickness so uh, i remember from some experiments it has to come of the order of uh, an ohm or like somewhere between milliohms and ohms if it is uh, say 2 mm 3 mm thick okay yeah and so as we go per, thin per meter or per centimeter i i would say something like 10 10 15 centimeters of wire because some experiments are generally done in high school or bachelor's i'm not sure but uh, there should be the order of uh, it could go between ohms and if we keep going thinner we, we can attain uh, ten, tens to hundreds of ohms or or higher and that is where the calculation came in that by an estimate if we are using a, a very highly conducting wire of sufficient thickness we can expect order of volts for our voltaic cell which we originally had wait by the way you said you, the magnetic field has to be comparable to the earth's magnetic field mm-hmm. how much is earth's magnetic field so the earth's magnetic field is 50 around 50 micro tesla tesla yeah okay yeah. 10 to the power -5 10 to the power -5 order yeah and hence now this is where the 45 degree comes in so when he said that he placed it directly below the wire there was a 45 degrees and which would mean that the component of the magnetic field and the component of the field by the conductor is comparable and that was how we could estimate i see and i find it very interesting that on his first uh, uh, accidentally he ha- ended up having 45 degrees I don't think he was trying to compensate earth's magnetic field or anything like that he just tried with whatever galvanic apparatus he had and it so happens that it created generated exactly enough magnetic field to compensate earth's and then it was exactly 45 degrees of declination i find it really amusing but it's but it's see because the magnetic field direction is changing from minus uh, what should i say the angle of deflection is minus 80 to plus 80 so there has to be a zero there has to be a 45 or all the angle sazin uh... no i think uh, to rephrase vidya's statement so uh, what he did was he had placed the wire uh, in the direction of earth's magnetic field so that your uh, compass without any current is uh, the compass needle is parallel to the wire and from this angle we observe 45 degree declination which would mean that the magnetic field components are comparable so this is what was accidentally probably observed or maybe he altered the 
chemical composition the hcl such that he gets something like a 45 degrees i don't think we he can do speculate. that he already realized that it also depends on the distance between the wire and the middle so he can just you know move yeah. it far, far apart to get the 45 degrees i don't think you have to do all the chemical uh, composition change as long as it is strong enough yeah so yeah moving on uh, do you guys know who he is referring to when he says that uh, some celebrated philosophers tried something similar earlier but i find it really uh, <laughs> really interesting that these celebrated philosophers so called were trying it in a very different way they had a wire attached to only one pole of the or one terminal of a battery not both the terminals mm-hmm. so i, I mean, like I, i don't think they understand how a voltaic pile works i don't think they understand what a battery how a battery works or how electric current works back then but then yeah that, that's how people realize that's how people, the, the science happens but yeah i find it really interesting that the so called celebrated philosophers were trying with just connecting one wire of wire to one end of the terminal and so on do you guys know who is referring to uh, when he says celebrated philosophers no <laughs> they are not celebrated so much celebrated after all <laughs> who are those who are they and yeah that's something i find really uh, really shady because uh th- these papers back then they had no references there had no citations at the end of the paper so there's no way to find out who is referring to and i couldn't <laughs> find any particular celebrated philosophers as such but yeah as we were as we've mentioned already a couple of times i think it could be romanosi because but i'm not sure it's romanosi because uh, oyster himself claims that he didn't know about romanosi's paper until a lot later in 1822 uh, when someone else pointed him to pointed to him that there was an italian paper a newspaper article about something similar published by a guy called uh, gian domenico romanosi he's a uh, he's i think mm-hmm. he was a judge and also he was he was working in law primarily but he had because everyone who was working in philosophy had some interest in natural philosophy and was working on such stuff all the time but yeah romanosi definitely could fit into this model because he was uh, i could i could find a version of his italian paper and his english translation and he was uh, definitely working on something like electrostatic because he had only one so he was using silver wire not a copper so he had a silver wire attached to one end of the terminal of a battery and at the other end of this wire he had a silver ball Mm-hmm. so he believed that this generated some static electricity or static electric charge in this ball and he put a compass near this ball and he observed what effect it had so he was he was mostly uh, testing out the electrostatic effects on a magnet or on a magnetic needle not definitely not electromagnetic and if you think about it it will have a, a effect because electrostatic after all is creating electric field in our sense and magnet is also made of metal so it had electric charges in it it has electric charges in it so it will have an effect it will have a angular de- de- declination but that's definitely not with magnetic effect it's purely an electric uh, field an electric field having an effect on a metal just like uh, electrostatic will have a, a effect on any mag- any need a metal needle not necessarily a magnetic needle mm-hmm. i i'm not sure sure about the feasibility of your explanation given uh, how we look at magnets i i would say the 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 enclosure of a magnetic compass is generally metallic 
which would provide some extent of shielding and second the extent of magnetic uh, fluctuations uh, electrical fluctuations you would expect in something uh, like a compass would be less now uh, i'm talking about how, what uh, romanozzi had uh, found out in his experiments so if we look at the 1930 uh, sorry 1830 discussion by uh, austed himself he does acknowledge uh, Romanozzi's experiment and given that uh, he, ex he he acknowledges it in a very odd manner where he does say that uh, well this if this research had indeed uh, gained attention and gained attention we would have saved 15 years or so of time uh, for the discovery the of the fact that magnetism come or at least magnetic field is observed from current carrying wires but he also says that the experiment was not uh, matured enough or uh, could not give the exact uh, kind of results because he claims it is not the exact same setup as you say it's an open setup i, don't so I would think, say he uh, does uh, acknowledge it yeah sorry i don't think oyston is referring to romanosi when he says uh, celebrated philosophers i don't think so yeah so th that's true uh, what i mean is in a paper which is about 10 15 years after this paper okay. on, of 1920 he acknowledges Romanozzi's work in his actual paper I would not guess he acknowledge, he's acknowledging Romanozzi in the celebrated philosophers okay anyway so uh, I, I think I have to point I have to point uh, I misinterpreted it or miscommunicated it that we're, we're not, neither Romanozzi nor Oyster in their uh, the experiment the primary observation that they're describing do it with compass inside a compass they remove the magnetic needle and observe the effects directly on the magnetic needle it's not inside a compass enclosure and and from uh, uh, yeah so I, I i obviously we are going to link the paper i found about uh, romanosis uh, paper so both the italian version and the english translation and at no uh, and he clearly mentions uh, connecting only a one terminal of a battery through a wire through a silver wire to a, to a silver uh, blob or blob as he calls it or the English translation calls it. So I, I don't think he was uh, uh, observing the effects of electro uh, electric current. He was purely observing electrostatic effects on magnet. And the declinations he observed are obviously not as prominent as oysters because as you mentioned, the electric effects uh, uh, here are not really prominent to be observable, but he was lucky enough to have enough good enough. Uh, I think it also has to do with how big your silver blob is. Because that, that defines how big your concentration of electric charge is here. If you have a really good concentration of electric static electric charges, I think you could have a slight uh, deflection in the needle. And if if Romanosi had observed this with a non-magnetized, a normal magnet, uh, metallic, metallic needle, he probably would have identified that this is not uh, magnetism and this is purely electricity, which he didn't. I would still want to argue your point on why uh, charge so I can understand that in the brief moment where uh, charge is accumulating on the silver blob we would observe some fluctuations however uh, the fact that charge itself cannot induce any fluctuations if it's static because uh, it's called uh, charge inducement because if, for example the very basic the com most common uh, example of static electricity that you are taught in school you take a comb rub it against your hair so now it has a, a charge, it has static electric charge, right? Now put it near a set of papers, which, which are completely neutral. They get attracted, right? So they move. 
that is if we are creating motion right if we are creating motion you're talking about fluctuations in the needle no it's not fluctuation it's just single deflection it's not fluctuation it's not it's not a constant motion it's just one and even in oyster's paper he wasn't observing a fluctuation he just saw that there's a declination and that's it as at the moment you switch on the wire the electric current in the wire the magnetic needle started uh, declinated into 45 degrees and it stopped there there is no fluctuation as such so i think romanosi deserves certain credit for himself but uh, definitely not credit for unifying electricity and magnetism because there was no magnetism in his observations okay so sagar uh, as you were saying i do not agree with your idea of how electric electrostatics was responsible for uh, the deflection in the needle when it comes to romanosi because from what i understand it was the momentary discharge or rather the charging of the electric blob which caused the a deflection in the needle and hence it cannot be given to the pure nature of electrostatics here it it was rather that uh, the as soon as one terminal was connected to the blob through the electric wire that is when the flow of charge caused uh, deflections in the magnetic needle and that is what Romanosi observed of course because it was not flowing current we cannot exactly say that this was current caused because of magnetic uh, current the causing magnetic, magnetic field. field yeah so you say that Romanosi observed the effect of uh, varying magnetic field even before Oyster observed the effect of a constant magnetic field i would say Te- so yes yeah technically i think that was the case okay i i would still i'm i'm still not convinced that i, I still interpret romanosi's effects as purely electrostatic but we can both uh, like put our uh, sources in the reddit and probably that will be a good place to discuss about uh, which interpretation makes more sense so yeah going ahead uh, so i'm still a little confused because Uh, not just romanosi even oster mentioned in his paper that there were some uh, celebrated philosophers who were trying some uh, experiments like this but with only one terminal being connected so i'm a little confused about how between this 1800 when volta created the first battery and 1820 when oster found out the magnetic uh, effects of uh, current carrying wires how exactly were they testing if the wire is actually carrying current or not between 1800 and 1820 i have a feeling that 1820s experiment by oster is the first ever kind of test to see if a wire is carrying current or not you can just put a magnet near it and if it deflects then the current is flowing in the wire but i wonder if there was any other way of testing before oster's experiment i think i have heard of some of the tests mm-hmm. i think one of them was animal testing they used animals one of them was i think I think there was some thing back in around 1800s called tongue test. Okay. In which they uh put the terminals in their tongue and even if a slight of uh so to speak agitation would uh, uh so if you put only one wire mm-hmm. attached to one terminal of the battery and if you put it to the tongue do you think there will be any agitation? No no I'm saying if you, you like it was in the silver blob in Romanosi's experiment two terminals No, no. I'm saying if you have two terminals and if you want to see if there is a complete circuit or not, and then you put both the terminals in your tongue. To answer your question, Sagar, uh, I I would say you would not detect something because your resistance. If you are using Earth as the second terminal, the current is so low that you will your your sensors will not go, will not trigger to know that I think, current is flowing because it is I much smaller. I think this uh, this I think this uh, tongue test was done by uh, Volta himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, while also, discovering 
this uh, but i think any muscle in general would work from starting from any muscle yeah it does I, no i think it's it's because uh, your tongue is moist which would cause uh, because of uh, higher conductivity yes yes yeah. yes yeah right. and it's probably salt water is it i think um, it is a good amount of salts all kinds of salts and the saliva probably also i'm i'm curious about this in the voltic pile because it is uh, was it a paste or a liquid we were talking about in uh, isotherm voltic pile yes it's liquid it's a it's liquid electrolyte uh, liquid electrolyte so, uh, i remember doing some electrolytic experiments where we have seen some sort of bubbling happening in the, near the electrodes when the charge is flowing uh, if it's if it, if it heats up probably i'm not sure but that uh, but seemed like one of the ideas of if there's a continuous flow of current probably there might be some observable physical changes in the cell Oh. Yeah. I I'm not for sh- uh, very sure about this but uh, I I believe that there yeah, are so some changes which I observed. There are molecules which are moving inside the electrolyte so the motion so, creates heat and I think the heat could uh, I think it's more of a chemical reaction right because you you have uh, it is I- ions ions being formed because from metal to ionic forms. So one is being deposited the other is being uh, is mixing into the solution so i think some chemical change would release probably like uh, water molecules H2 or something like that uh, yeah ha so that probably depends on the chemical composition not every kind of electrolytes would probably generate this and i hope but they a- use as of now we only have we have only one electrolyte which they had used electrolytic setup oh yeah i probably yeah. yes yes yeah 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 we already mentioned that uh, there were no sort of any references or citations in the paper and which which was one of the reasons why we couldn't figure out who the celebrated philosophers were but i also wonder how uh, peer review system worked back then because uh, oyster stressed a little on how he got it verified by uh, esteemed people he he named he mentioned the names and the professions of multiple people that he got uh, the entire setup verified by but is it it sounds a little weird that the author himself gets the final authority on who verifies it and stuff like that so i wonder how peer review worked back then probably was handled by the royal societies of all the european countries but i have no clue like the first referee system was put in place by the english scientific society in the early 19th century and the idea was given by a cambridge professor who who uh, said that you know royal society of london should have some some people called the some scientific publicists who would you know look over what like what goes on into the journals and what what the public reads and stuff and also uh, he, uh, oyster wasn't a pure physicist himself he was a natural philosopher definitely and he was his primary uh, works earlier were in pharmacy and uh, in philosophy i assume but uh, trying his hand at how theory works he proposed that uh, this phenomenon could be explained by supposing that some sort of negative electricity moves in spirals uh, along the wire which doesn't make complete sense to me because why electricity the negative electricity that we understand now is being moved in the wire and not around the wire in spirals i think it he could mean something related to direction negative electricity but i am not sure yeah probably the direction but but how did he come up with negative electricity moves in a spiral mm. oh or maybe he thought 
it was purely electromagnetic electric effect ah. where there is electricity moving in wire a positive electricity as they assumed back then and a negative electricity moving along yeah, the wire yeah, yeah. which is doing an electric effect only on the uh, uh, compass needle but i'm still surprised yeah because uh okay, okay. then so it I doesn't make sense because he already verified that this is not purely electric and it had some magnetic effect because he did with a normal non magnetic uh, brass needle and then observed that there was no effect so i think it was yeah he was trying he, he was probably just speculating something uh, but he was, this is he was saying uh, magnetic field as a negative electricity that is what i'm wondering about as well Yeah, he was proposing magnetic field. I mean, there was no magnetic field back then. But then he was proposing right, right, that there was right. something like electric negative electricity right, moving right. along it. But okay, he okay. he kind of contradicted himself by yeah later by yeah uh, to saying that this won't uh, directly affect brass needle. Some something which is unexplained. He just named it as negative electricity, something like that. Yeah, probably. And this this obviously didn't make didn't didn't last longer. Hmm. and i really like uh, how he uh, says that he proposes that maybe using uh, marks or figures will make things easier to understand it wasn't it wasn't very common to use marks and figures back then it was mostly equations and theories people used to understand physics i wonder if newton in in, in our high schools we studied a lot of uh, newtonian mechanics using uh, Uh, free flow free free fall diagrams and stuff like that i wonder if newton came up with that or it was some invention that some teacher came up with over the time after newton to make things easier but yeah it was very smart of oyster to uh, propose that marks and figures are supposed to be used to make things easier and they do and uh, i wouldn't imagine that i would be under, able to understand how uh, fields work without uh, marks in my high school either Well, it's also uh, notable and ironic that he did not use any marks and figures in his own paper. <laughs> yeah, that that also shows how how big of a leap it is to actually be able to create marks and figures. I wonder if Ampere used uh, marks and figures already uh, in his time, but that's something we can check later and discuss on the Reddit again. Yeah, I think that's all the comments we have so far. So wrapping up the current paper. we see that the whole experimental setup is quite easy to explain in terms of our current knowledge of physics which is nothing but a interaction between the magnetic field created by a current carrying wire and the magnetic dipole which is nothing but our compass needle but all this knowledge took its time to get into this level of understanding for example 2 years later this experiment ampere came up with a mathematical law to describe the magnetic forces between two current carrying wires which is nothing but became later the definition for what exactly is 1 ampere and so we can see that we are using force to quantify the amount of current passing through a wire then a decade later faraday came up with his uh, law of electromagnetic induction which is nothing but that the a changing magnetic flux induces an electric current which is sort of the uh, opposite of what exactly is happening in this experiment so next going with the major philosophy of unifying electricity and magnetism james clerk maxwell came up with his equations so 
with his, with his uh, with his equations we can actually sort of see that the electromagnetic wave propagate with a speed which coincided coincided with the speed of light and i think this was sort of could be in a uh, could be a good uh, uh, hint that light is nothing but an electromagnetic wave and uh, we can also according to our current knowledge as we know that special theory of relativity is actually what deeply connects electricity and magnetism which was even though developed much later but as we can see that the whole philosophy of unifying different laws of nature always stays in the mind of uh, scientists and still people are working on different unifying theories in 1825 uh, austed produced aluminum for the first time which is quite cool and uh, being a first modern thinker and he also named uh, something called as a gedanken experiment called the thought experiment which was later used by used by lots of uh, other people and scientists uh, he also started the society for dissemination of natural science which was basically dedicated to making science more accessible to common uh, people who are not that uh, uh, closely related to the whole uh, group of uh, scientists so i think for him also the spreading of uh, science was quite important and we also abide by the same philosophy yeah so though we have uh, as much passion as oyster uh, to spread science and make it more accessible to public and actually change the way uh, we think about our daily lives uh, we have a little disclaimer uh, we are all graduate students in and working on this podcast in our free time we try our best to make sure that everything we say is accurate but uh, no one's completely perfect uh, so if you find any mistakes in what we said please let us know through either mail or uh, on our subreddit so we have a subreddit where we uh, try to build up discussions on the episode uh, and we will be active on there and then we hope people who have uh, all kinds of questions and uh, more things to add upon uh, are welcome there uh, this episode gave us a lot of ideas on how we can uh, what are the topics to cover in further episodes but if you have any other suggestions uh, please let us know and links to everything we mentioned in this episode will be available on our website uh, sciencedigger.club with that we conclude today's episode feed your curiosity engage and explore while being open to errors and most importantly keep digging